Colossians 4, 2 through 6. I'll, I'll read just very briefly here instead of having you stand. It says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You know, there's a, there was a time when I went with my son to a rugby match, and uh, it was back in 2008, the first rugby match I'd ever been to, the rugby, rug, rugby game. It was in South Africa. I took my son, Jean-Marc, he was eight years old, and uh, we went to watch the Blue Bulls from Pretoria play against the uh, Cheetahs from Bloemfontein in South Africa, two professional teams playing rugby. And that was a thrilling event for me and my son to go to with a bunch of other um, Afrikaans brothers. And we went to this match and I was fascinated by one aspect of the game. It was, it was a running game. There was a lot of running and a lot of kicking and a lot of, a lot of fast movement. But the, the part of the game that was so interesting and intriguing to me was the scrum. The scrum is where two teams come together. It's similar to the American football where the teams come together and of course they hike the ball and they crash together and everybody tries to kill one another. And, um, but, but in rugby, of course, they're not wearing pads and helmets and things like that. But they do come together in quite a strong force of uh, power. And, and they do it in such a way as to protect one another and protect the opposing team because it's very, very easy for them to get injured if it's not done correctly. But the scrum is done when there's a foul or there's, there's a penalty awarded or something happens where the team decides they want to form a scrum and move the ball forward that way instead of doing it a different way. And so they choose a scrum. And from the time the captain says they want to do the scrum, at that point, they have 30 seconds to form into a scrum and begin to push against one another. And so there are three three very key words that the referee will call out. First of all, he'll call out something, he'll say crouch, and that's where they basically form in their team. And there's a, there's a middle guy, he's called the hooker, and then there's two other guys on the outside, and then there's several guys behind, and they form up as a team, front to back, and they, the hooker basically grabs two guys kind of under the rib cage, over the back and under the rib cage, and he, he pulls them together, and then they do the same. And he's just kind of, he's usually a small guy, but he's in the middle of these two big, huge guys. And, and they basically pretty much lift him off his feet, but he's there to hold them together and then to bring the, the rest of the guys together and pushing from the back. And so they form this scrum, and the first thing they say is, the referee will say is crouch. And so they get into position and for the, for the scrum. They have 30 seconds to put this together. And then he'll say the word bind. And bind is where they all connect to one another. They basically bind together as a team. And then 
the referee will say set. And that's where the two teams come together and they lock heads with shoulders of the opposing team members and they push with all their might while the fly, the, uh, not the fly half, the uh, scrum half sits there in the middle and he's from the team that has been awarded the penalty and he feeds the ball in to the team. And the hooker, basically his job is to hook the ball with his feet and pass the ball back to his team and the ball gets fed out the back and then they gr- the fly half grabs the ball and, or the number eight, he grabs the ball and passes the ball onto the team. It gives them an advantage because now all the defenders are locked in this position pushing against each other and they can quickly work the ball out and up the field. So it's a very, very interesting, very strategic game or part of the game. And often games are won and lost on how strong the opposing team scrum is. Because if they can maintain possession of that ball and get it out, they can get it up the field and score a try. So it's really critical. But these three instructions, crouch, bind, and set, are yelled out as the team begins to prepare to engage in this this force of battle between the two. So I want to use this as really analogy for an analogy for, for our time this morning as we look at, first, first of all, the idea of crouch. And it's this idea of praying faithfully, but with thanksgiving. Praying faithfully and with thanksgiving. If you notice in chapter 4 and verse 2, just the first phrase, it says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Other versions would read, devote yourselves to prayer. Paul will eventually instruct all of us on how to seize the opportunities and, and walk through open doors and engage with people in delivering the gospel. But first, before we do all of that, before we begin engaging with people and with the gospel, he, he first says he wants us to start with prayer. Begin with prayer. To casually pass over this step of prayer is to put at risk everything else that we're about to do. Prayer is the beginning and the ending of all effective Christian ministry. It's not an interlude. It's not an emergency measure only to be used in a crisis. It's not a luxury that only a few can use. It is meant to be an active exercise of our devotion for, for our Savior in what he wants to accomplish. It's, a, it's an act for every believer to be engaged in. Prayer is so important. Doing it with thanksgiving. And this is why Paul here tells the believers in the church in Colossae, he, to whom he is writing, he, he basically is saying, before you do anything publicly, before you get out there and start proclaiming the good news and winning people to Christ, First of all, you need to be devoted to something privately. The word devoted means to be busy about. But you know, what an insight that provides because we can be so busy with so many other things and neglect or pass over this very important instruction from the Lord, prayer. But continuing on, Paul, Paul in the latter part of verse 2, he says, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Prayer isn't complaining about our world. 
Instead, it's interceding for our world. So while we're praying, we should always be watchful and alert. In other words, it's easy to slip out of gratitude and slip into having a wrong attitude. I don't know if you've ever been to a prayer meeting or a a time of prayer where often prayer requests kind of begin to develop into complaints and gripes about, oh, I wish this was better, or oh, this should be done this way. And, and it, it can so easily, we can slip out of this idea of, of being grateful and slip into a wrong attitude. And so we need to be watchful as we're praying, that we're bringing everything to the Lord, but that we're acknowledging He is great. He is worthy to be celebrated in our prayer. You know, the year 2020 for us as a family brought about a lot of different challenges and changes in our lives. And I'm sure you in 2020 and even now into 2021 have faced many changes in your lives. Um, These wearing of masks is just one of the evidences of some of the changes we've had to endure or go through. But all the time we have needed to be devoted to prayer in these times because times are uncertain for many people in our in our lives there have been many things that have been uncertain for us on the field will we be able to engage with our team members will we be able to meet together as team members to talk about ministry to encourage one another when we're restricted from traveling from country to country Normally, my activities would involve me going out and meeting with my teams in the different places where they work. It's been very difficult to do that ever since this COVID pandemic took over. With the restrictions on travel, with countries closing their borders, and some of them still remaining closed to outsiders coming in, it's very difficult to engage with your team, especially when you're fully reliant then on technology and things like Zoom and Teams and things like that that are so easily hacked by governments who are watching what the church is doing. And so people in the church who are in some of these countries are a little bit hesitant to get on and be, be sharing what is going on in their lives and in the, in the life of the ministry when they know that Big Brother could be watching and keeping track of everything that they're saying and doing. How do you engage with people? So adjusting to life in Cyprus for us as a family has has had its own challenges. As a family, we went there without Jean-Marc. He went off to Bible college. And we went there with our daughter, Nicole, got settled into ministry, got settled in a home, settled into Nicole, into school, and got busy about our ministry but just about a week after we were in Cyprus and settling down into the work, Jean-Marc had an injury and he, he, he was playing soccer and, and twisted his knee, broke his ACL, um, tore it, and had to have that replaced. That was two years ago. 
Uh, We're thankful that he's doing much better. But in the process of that, it meant Carol needed to come back to the States, spend some time with him so that someone would be there to be his caregiver or his provider for him as he went through the process of surgery. When you raise your children overseas and the maximum amount of time they get to live in America is maybe four months out of every three years, they're not real familiar with the medical system, the terminology, What's going to be expected of me when I go to a hospital and talk to someone? What are they going to ask of me? And so we felt it very important for Carol to get home, to at least be there for him in this first incident in his life. So, of course, we get there, we get settled, and Carol is then off um, in November to uh, travel to the States to be with him. He comes through the surgery. All is seemingly well in our family. Things are going well. I go off to a conference in February, come back with appendicitis, and go straight into hospital. And uh, that was a new one for me. Kind of came right out of left field. Kind of felt like a rugby game, you know, where you're playing, everything's going great, and then something hits you and just knocks you down. And that's what I felt like. Uh, had been to this wonderful conference talking about ministry engagement, all the things we're going to do, partnering with other ministries, working together to engage with audiences in North Africa, in the Middle East, uh, who we want to be able to share the gospel with. Just, you know, you're kind of on a, on a high, you're, you're way up there in the clouds with just all these great things that you want to do together. And then suddenly you get knocked down. And that's how I felt. Coming back from that conference, already being sick, and then going straight into hospital and having surgery. You know, it's so easy to get into a place where you just gripe and you moan and you groan and you worry and you you get despondent. But I had to remember in the midst of that, what what can I thank the Lord for? What is there I can be grateful for? You know, it was a public holiday weekend. It was Orthodox time for the Orthodox Church. And um, so it was a long holiday weekend. There were hardly any patients in the hospital because nobody wants to be in the hospital when it's a holiday weekend. So the hospital was nearly empty. So I had a medical team that was pretty much looking for work. And I became their work. And they were just able to look after my needs so quickly, so promptly. And then for the three days that I had to stay in hospital afterwards, they were able to just take care of me. And it was right at the beginning when COVID restrictions were coming in and people were starting to be a bit concerned. Um, So people weren't wanting to go to the hospital uh, because of what might happen. And so I was there kind of had a whole wing to myself and uh, cared for by this wonderful team. And I just rejoice that the Lord had me there at that time. And my wife and my daughter were able to come and see me. A few weeks later, that wasn't possible for people in the hospital. No family members allowed in the building. And so I was there at a time when I had my family behind me, had a great medical team looking after me. 
And then, of course, COVID restrictions hit, and you know what that means. It means a lot of travel gets changed and a lot of things, regulations come into place. And for us as a family, it meant we couldn't travel out of the country. The airport got closed down. They shut it down for basically three months. No flights in and out for three months. So we're stuck on an island. And I remember getting a call from my dad. Um, who's sitting here with us this morning and saying, John, could you try and get a flight out? Um, Mom is not going to be around very long. Those weren't his exact words, but that was what came through to me. And so I feverishly began trying to find a flight, realizing that if I book a flight, it doesn't mean there will be one leaving But I went ahead and booked a flight, and two weeks later I was able to fly out, basically five days after the airports opened back up and some flights started to go. And I was able to get on one of the first flights to leave Cyprus and get to the U.S. and spend a few hours with my mom before she passed. That is precious. When you spend the majority of your life away from your parents, be able to come back together just to be with your family and be there with the family when they're taking those hard knocks to be able to pull together as a family bind together and go through it together it makes all the difference in the world so we're grateful filled with gratitude for all that the Lord has been able to do in our lives and working with us through these things. But the second thing we're instructed to do is to depend on Him. And that's really where this idea of bind comes together, to depend on Him. So moving on, we are instructed to to depend on the Lord. It says in verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Paul effectively says here, he says, while you're praying for me, pray that I'll respond in the right way when God does open a door. Now I agree with the New Testament scholars that the phrase here, the mystery of Christ, is being used by Paul as a synonym for the gospel. You see, the gospel is a mystery for those who do not believe. They don't understand it. It's still a mystery. And our job, our responsibility is to open, help to open their minds and their understanding to the Word of God. But that only happens with the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God speaking into their lives. Paul wants us to be prepared for whatever God has planned for the sake of the gospel of Christ, to declare this mystery of the gospel to all who would believe. I do wonder at times how much of our praying is motivated by a desire to win at life, at life, to be successful. In fact, if you look closely here, Paul isn't praying that his chains will fall off miraculously. You know, there were other times when Paul was in prison and he was released from prison or miraculously something happened and he was set free or able to get out of a very difficult place. But nowhere here in this passage does he talk about wanting to be set free or getting out of prison. He doesn't ask the believers to pray that he will be released from his situation. In fact, he does the opposite. He says, 
pray that in this circumstance, we will be able to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he actually assumes here that he's going to remain imprisoned and in this state of being, to have an opportunity to show and to demonstrate Christ within his circumstance, wearing the chains he's wearing. The, th- the, next, the next aspect I want to get to is the idea of being guided in wisdom. So carrying on here, Paul writes in verse 5, he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. This word outsiders refers to those who are outside the body of Christ, those in the community, but those who do not have saving faith. They don't know Christ. They have not come into a right relationship with their maker, with the Lord. So those who have yet to be won through the gospel of Christ alone. And here's the implicit warning behind this action point of walk in wisdom toward outsiders. The gospel of Christ is judged by the world, not by what they read in the Bible, but by what they see in the life of the believer. The world doesn't go to the Bible to figure out what Christians believe. They look at our lives. That's how they see what we believe. And so it's so important for us to demonstrate Christ, to demonstrate the Word of God, being consistent in our lives with those around us, that they would see the consistency of Scripture as it's modeled in the way in which we live. So we're to conduct ourselves wisely. It means being tactful, using common sense and respectability, applying self-control, and with insight, sensibility, and discretion. You see, our conduct, when we're surrounded by unbelievers, is the most compelling evidence that what we say we believe about Christ is actually true. It's the most compelling evidence. And so it's so important that we conduct ourselves wisely. Just think about these believers here in Colossae. They are a minority. In fact, they, they could be equated to a house church, a home group that meets in the evening or, or on a specific day or a set of days, more like a life group. They don't have a church building. They have no printed Bible to show one another or to show the community to which they're, they're living in. They have no gospel tracts to hand out. They don't yet have all of Paul's letters to be able to hand out to the church. And so they, Paul, Paul is saying, go reach your world. Start first by praying for open doors. Depend entirely on the Holy Spirit and through you, through you and conduct everything that you do with integrity and discretion and tactfulness and self-control and discernment, common sense, and a grateful spirit. And when you do, the word of God is going to spread. You know, when, when COVID restrictions hit our island, people had the same reactions as anywhere else in the world. It doesn't matter where we come from, people react very similarly. When governments start to put in regulations and requirements and all kinds of things, 
There are those who don't question what's being done, others who question everything that's being done. And so attitudes kind of flare and people get upset. I can admit I got upset a few times at some of the things that were being brought out that we had to do. It was a difficult time. Uh, We had some pretty strict regulations for several months Uh, in the early days of COVID and then also right after the holiday season when for the holidays they opened everything up and said you can do whatever you want and then right after the holidays of course they bring in all the regulations um, to try and counter everything that had happened during the party season uh, between November and the end of December and so you know it just some stuff just didn't make a lot of sense to me um But we went into those real difficult times where we had to text a little message, um, put our passport number or ID number, and text a number that would be like a category of one, two, three, four, eight different categories, like go to the bank, go to the hospital, go to the store to do your shopping, go for a walk. Maybe walk your dog was not one of them because you were allowed to walk your dog within maybe 100 meters of your house. And there were just these little restrictions, but it meant one trip a day that you could go out and spend maybe three hours doing that one activity. So if it was to go to the bank, you couldn't go to the bank and then go to the store. You had to only go to the bank and go to the store the next day. So you had to plan your week pretty well if you wanted to do the things you needed to do just to, to, to you know, buy the toilet paper that you needed. Um, which I understand is in short supply in some places again. But you know, we, we basically got to this place where we needed to seize the opportunities. And so that's our next point, is really seizing the opportunity. And this is where the referee will basically say set. You know, they get into the crouch position and then they bind to one another and then he says set. And that's where these opposing forces come together and they lock heads and they just basically push with all their strength against one another to try and gain the ground over where that ball is being fed in so that they can maybe gain, gain the territory and, and gain the, the uh, possession of the ball. Seizing the opportunity. If we look at verse 5 in the latter part, it says, making the best use of the time. In your cross-references in your study Bibles, you might see a reference to the phrase, redeeming the time. And that's because the original principle here really means, in a kind of a rather wooden way, it means to buy at the marketplace, to go to the marketplace and buy up the time. Buy up as much as you can. It's the idea of eagerly buying. But that's a good illustration, really, of Paul's attitude toward buying up the time and not wanting anything to go to waste. To basically finding all the time that he has and using it wisely, but making the best use of that time. And so and basically getting out there and engaging. Now is the time, he says, we don't want to miss it, is the idea. This is the attitude of Paul in 1 Corinthians 16.9. Paul uses this image of an open door as he writes, for a wide door for effective work is open to me. He writes later to the same church in Corinth, 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13, when he says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Paul's the kind of person who listened for the sound of doors opening. Always on the lookout, kind of listening for the creak in that door, waiting for the door to open, but being ready when the door opened, ready to go through, and there he was. And just like Paul, we need to be willing and ready, poised to go through and to capitalize on the opportunities that God brings for us to share the gospel. One of our, our listeners um, from North Africa, I want to read a response from him uh, because this, is, this comes at a time when we, we, were, we were having in our ministry um, in 2019 real struggles with getting our listeners to kind of respond and write and re, you know, engage with us about the work that was going on. Well, in 2020, something happened. I think a lot of it was the COVID restrictions because in this one country we were broadcasting a program to uh, J. Vernon McGee's program through the Bible in the Kabil language, broadcasting into this country. Suddenly the numbers of responders or people responding to our, to our messages just exponentially increased. In 2019, there were basically in the total year, there were 811 unique respondents who responded to our program. This number of unique responses in 2020 increased to over 11,300 individual connections with people. That's an incredible increase from 811 to over 11,000 in, in just one year. And we know it's because there are many who have not been allowed to go to church. Churches have been shut down in, in one of these countries in North Africa. It's been very difficult for the church. Um, restrictions placed on the church. And so they're having to meet in home groups, but many Many home groups are actually illegal because you're not allowed to have gatherings in homes, and especially during the COVID times. And so people are desperate. People are wanting to know the truth. They're wanting to hear a voice of comfort. And through this program, through the Bible, they've been able to have the reading of God's word and the teaching of God's word on a daily basis, Monday to Friday, in their own heart language. And many have responded. This listener from North Africa writes, thank you so much for lifting me up. I really struggled with all the persecution I face, but you were the first to be there for me. It helped me a great deal, and I am so glad with your valuable input in my life. May the Lord bless you. From a man in North Africa. The fifth thing is, and I'll close with this, is how we communicate matters. The way in which we communicate really does matter. If we look in, in the, the latter part of verse 4, it said, Paul says, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. 
In verse six, he says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The the context here would indicate that these people to whom we respond are outside the church. They're not in the church. How do you talk to people outside the church? Well, in our media ministry, we do this all the time. And it's so important that when we speak the word of God, we choose the words that God wants us to speak. And that means prayerful consideration, being wise, being guided in wisdom, being watchful and alert, but knowing how we ought to answer each person with the word of God. Given the added expression of seasoning our speech with salt, Paul isn't speaking so much theologically as he is practically. One of the major problems with the church in Corinth that Paul writes to, uh, they, they had angry, divisive speech. And so, you know, listen to this great fearless apostle Paul as he writes to the Corinthians prior to him visiting them. He writes these words, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 20, he says, For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. Paul is writing that to this church, not to the world outside. He's saying it to the church. And Paul says to the local church in Colossae, speak to your world with the winsomeness of grace. Then he adds this phrase in verse five, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Last week you heard about uh, being you know, careful with your vows, making vows to the Lord. And what that means when we begin to use words and we begin to invoke the Lord's name and say, Lord, I will do this in your name. It means we have to be very careful in what we're entering into because our words matter. Words have meaning and they also have consequences. For Paul, the metaphor was simple enough Salt was valuable. It symbolized purity. It seasoned food. And by the way, it also created a thirst. When you eat something salty, and I had some beef jerky this week. I'm a diabetic, so I can't eat all the sweet-tasting beef jerky. But I bought some of this, this beef jerky for diabetics. And boy, was it salty. <laughs> all I wanted to do was drink water after eating that jerky. Tastes good, though. But... Um, It created really an appetite for something to quench my thirst, and that was water. Water was the best thing. But salt creates this thirst. In other words, speak in such a way, using your vocabulary, being seasoned properly, that not wasting our words and throwing them around or dirtying them, we would instead, we would would draw people to the Lord by the use of our words, by using the word of God in the appropriate way, in the appropriate time, in the appropriate place. 
Talk to those you meet in such a way, basically, that God would use your words to create a thirst for Jesus Christ, who is, after all, the living water of life. As I close, I want to read just two responses from listeners. And these responses are um, responses from ladies who live in a North African country to a program that's called Women of Hope. And this program has really ministered among women in this country who are really facing difficult situations. For one, many of them are believers, but the only believer in their family. And so they face great hostility or persecution for their faith. And being that they're a woman, they also face just the the problem that they face in their society or their culture that they are looked at as, as a nobody or there to just do the work. And so these listener responses come from some ladies who have responded in some very difficult circumstances. This first one says, although I have never set foot in a church, I am so glad to be able to communicate with you and to receive your input in my life. This must be like church. I am so grateful for the confidence I can have when communicating with you, for the care, sharing of scriptures and prayer. Obviously, she heard some words that ministered to her heart and began to show her what the church is like without even entering the door of a church. If our words and our conduct could be like that, we would have people knocking on the doors on Sunday morning, begging to get in. Oh, for the time when that comes. The second listener writes, I am a Muslim, but I want to hear these words of the gospel. This response also from a lady in North Africa. After messaging back and forth, our follow-up team who's on the ground there in this country and working through Facebook and through some social media means, uh, working together with her and answering some of her questions, she came to Christ. After making her confession of faith, she listened to, to some of the testimonies of other believers who, who have come to Christ and realized the next thing she needed to do was to tell her family. And so she's actively telling her family, knowing what it will mean for her, because she's not from a believing family at all. And what that means in North Africa is often you are ostracized from your family, put out, or for in many cases, you're actually imprisoned in your own home and you're never allowed to associate with the outside world. And so people know what it means to come to Christ and what that decision means for them. And so we're thankful, we're praising the Lord that we do have a wonderful team of people that we work with that work in this ministry in North Africa and the Middle East. I look forward to sharing with you a bit more detail about some of these things and how we do it um, later on this week. But I hope you're encouraged that we are, to, we are to be engaged with the world, but to first be in prayer 
being guided by wisdom and being watchful and alert to what God has for us. And then being full of thanksgiving in our prayers to him and looking for those open doors so that when we begin to engage, when we begin to bind together and we go forward together, we see the Lord do a miraculous thing in the lives of people. And I'm thankful for this church that allows us to bind together with other believers, to engage in the ministry that God has called us to, and to move forward with the gospel. So I thank you for this opportunity to share, and I pray that uh, God will bless what has been shared this morning in each of our hearts. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you are the one who uh, guides us as we lean upon you, as we lean into you, Lord, as we grow in Christ's likeness according to your word, Lord, that you, you speak to us through your word and through your people to guide us and direct us in the direction you would have us go. And Lord, help us to be obedient to your call. Help us, Lord, to be attentive to you, to understand what you're saying to us when you say, follow me. So Lord, I pray that you would use the words that have been shared this morning, use your word, Lord, to continue to open up our lives to you, that we might allow you to continue to be Lord of our lives, guided in step with you, that we might glorify your name in all that we say and do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.